This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. I'm sure many of you know this already, uh, but it is Global Hand Washing Day. Right? You guys knew that. Many, I'm sure, have already practiced that, right? It's global. Some of you who are shaking your head should not be shaking your head. Global Hand Washing Day, October 15th, Global Hand Washing Day. Yeah. It's also National Mushroom Day. Yeah, who are the mushrooms, right? Fun guys, where you at? Yeah. All right, put that on the pizza. That's good stuff. Yummy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Well, this one I'm sure that we'll get more, we'll get more out of. Today is the date in 1520 where Henry VIII put bowling lanes inside the palace. So in celebration of bowling, let's hear it. Where you at? Where you at? Yeah? Okay. Good stuff. I don't think you guys are really up on October 15 stuff. All right, this one. It is also National Cheese Curd Day. Yeah, we can get down with that one. Yeah. Don't they all kind of go together? The hand washing, the fungus, the bowling, the, the, the cheese curds. I mean, I think it all kind of uh, comes together in one thing. No? We have days. We commemorate things. We memorialize things. We have an anniversary for. You know, something significant has happened. And so we're going to set aside a day for this thing to, maybe it was a wedding, maybe it was a birth. Something we want to celebrate, we want to commemorate. Or maybe it was a day where something serious and tragic and we want to memorialize the day. We don't want to forget. Let's keep our eyes upon, let's remember that this happened. We'll set aside a day. Do that as individuals, to do that as a nation, 4th of July, Arbor Day, 9-11, Memorial Day. I always joke because when we get together as a staff and have staff meetings on Tuesday and Vanessa prints off the calendar, it'll be all the odd days. Oh, don't forget that today is National Black Cat Day or it's whatever it might be. But did you know that the Lord has a day? Did you know that he has a day? A day I suggest that is worth memorializing, commemorating, remembering, and celebrating. A day that is so grounding that it'll change a life. He'll say it'll change your heart. It says this in Isaiah chapter 2. I'm going to read this for you and then we're going to dive into what it means. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low, 
Then verse 17, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. On that day, he says, hearts will be humbled, haughty hearts brought low, and there'll be healing on that day. The Lord has a day. I want to talk to you about that day today. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name. I pray for those who are here, who are watching online. I thank you for their presence. I ask that your Spirit's presence would meet us in this space, across distances, that you would do exactly what you said your day does, that you would draw us to yourself. As our hearts are heavied by so many of the things that we've seen in the news as of late, Remind us of this day. As we have a habit of getting distracted, would you remind us of this day? Do your good work here. Please don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to say. But the things that I do say, oh, fill them with your spirit. That the name of Jesus would be lifted up. In his name I pray. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 12. And let's talk about a day. A day. John 12. We're actually going to be in John a lot. And for a while. I hope that's okay. John 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 33, verse 31 down through 33. You follow along in your copy. Uh, Carmen will have some verses up on the screen. If you brought a Bible, that's awesome. Big fan, big fan. John chapter 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 31. I'm going to read through verse 33. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one of the gospel accounts. In scripture. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Let me read that again. It's not too long. Now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Today, what day are we going to look at? We're looking at the day when Jesus was crucified. What happened on that day? What should be commemorated? What, should, what is the anniversary for? What's the purpose behind? What happened on that day? What does it do? What does it change? And I would suggest it changes everything. 
that the Lord has a day. One of the first things that he says in verse 31 is this. Now is the judgment of this world. At the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the world is judged. The world is judged. So let's imagine, if you will, a divine courtroom. With the most high at the bench and all humanity and for year upon year upon year leading up to the crucifixion moment humanity at its own detriment has building file after file evidence upon evidence upon evidence upon box upon box upon box and The Lord says, in this moment, humanity now is judged. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. What is it that humanity is capable of? What is it that is at the heart of man? Not just the individual, but in total. And since then, since this moment... Since his day, we have continued to fill up box upon box upon box upon box. What are we capable of? Nothing less than our own destruction and the destruction of God's good creation. He says, now is the world judged. The evidence should be obvious. Many of you have been tuning in and dialed in to what's going on on the other side of the world. We're brought aware of these heinous attacks brought on by this terrorist organization against uh, the nation of Israel last weekend. And there have been many, many, many. Yeah, I'm going to talk about this, okay? There have been many opinions put forth on what's going on and what's not going on and what are the biblical implications and what are the geopolitical implications. And it's really hard, isn't it hard, to think about it biblically? How do we process this biblically? When you start dropping words like Israel. Then some people start dropping words like prophecy. What does it mean? How should we understand it? I was up one night. I don't know why I did this. I was just listening to every single preacher that would come across my feed. I wonder what they have to say about it because they told me that they had the answer. So I listened. One guy assured me that the rapture was going to happen before Christmas. I go, that throws that option out. Pretty sure the rapture isn't happening before Christmas. Oh, this is the political fulfillment of this, and this is the prophetic fulfillment of this, and this is this is all these pieces. Now, now we're in the end times. Now it's going to get bad. As far as I can tell, it's just one more file in one more box on one more stack on why judgment has come against humanity. To think about it biblically. 
Did you know that to talk about Israel nationally is to not talk about Israel ethnically? Do you know that they're not the same thing? Did you know that? It's a challenge because you read in here, you'll read the word Israel, and then you'll hear Fox News say Israel, and you'll think they're talking about the same thing. They're not talking about the same thing. 27, 28% of Israeli nationals are Muslim, Arab. They're not ethnic Jews. Did you know that? And there's a lot of Jewish people who aren't nationally Israeli. Did you know that? And some people think to talk about Hamas is to talk about Palestine. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Then people start throwing out terms like Gog and Magog. Here's Here's the challenge. Here's the historical challenge to think about this biblically and think about how much humanity is judged, how bad it is. It was so bad that the apostles were convinced that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Did you know that? So the reason is the apostle Paul said, don't worry yourself about getting married. If you're not married, don't worry about it because Jesus is coming right back. Apparently in the minds of the apostles, all the prophecy that has been given because they know Ezekiel and they know Daniel, in their mind, Jesus is coming right back. To look at what's going on in the Middle East and to look at it biblically is just one more example of how treacherous we are one human being to another. We're that cruel. And so, but we'll point at, oh, Hamas. If you go to Psalm 27, this is a psalm that would be read on Shabbat when these attacks were perpetrated. Psalm 27. Oh, how deceitful our hearts are. I love Psalm 27. It's a good psalm if you're just showing up on Sunday morning. Psalm 27 says things like this in verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon his beauty. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Let me read verse 11. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Crazy thing. If you spoke Hebrew, that last word, violence, you know how you'd pronounce it? Hamas. And we weep for these people attacked, blindsided, butchered, whether at a musical festival or they were standing and waiting at a bus stop or they were just at home asleep in their beds in evil and manifest in such cruel, incarnate, brutal ways. But God said, the world is judged. Because, you see, I am Hamas. I killed the innocent 
do. So let me be ever so careful that I don't paint with a paintbrush that's not big enough to include myself in what is a failed, corrupt humanity. I am Hamas. Jesus said, on this day, his day, the world is judged. It is a day of wrath. A day of wrath where the judge looks at us and says, you're guilty. You're guilty. He goes on to say, now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. That word cast out really gets my attention because I've heard it from another place. It's the same kind of word that's used to talk about Adam and Eve. It means to be dethroned. It means that you're in a position of authority and sovereignty and your throne was taken away from you. Your, 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 your sovereignty was removed. That's what Adam and Eve had. Here is humanity gifted by God to administrate over creation on behalf of the creator. To bring about his influence and his will and his good order in creation. That's our part as image bearers. So we, we were called to do beautiful thing, amazing thing. While at the same time, to bring forth creation back to its creator in worship and praise. Oh, what an amazing gift. But we succumb to the lie and in our own treasonous, corrupted hearts forfeit our position, beautiful, glorified position. And God says, you're off the throne. He cast us out of paradise. Now, what do you think happens to an empty throne? Do you think it just sits there waiting for humanity to step back into it with all of its glory? No. Weren't there, aren't there still those forces of evil that started walking and encircling that throne like sharks with blood in the water and says, this is nice. We can be home here. Humans gave it up. And not that it is theirs to have, not that it was gifted to them by the creator, but because we forfeited our place as sovereign co-rulers on earth with the creator, evil took the throne. And we can see Go through the narrative, page after page after page. You can see the evil fruit, and you can trace it all the way back to its evil root. Yeah. 
But something happened on this day. On this day, Jesus said the ruler of the world was cast out. Bursting through the doors of the throne room, if you will. Jesus stepped in, in all of his glory and divinity and authority and sovereign power and said, no more. You're done. You're done. That while it is a day of wrath, it is also a day of tremendous hope. I am not waiting for Jesus to conquer evil. He's already conquered evil. You read about this in a couple other places in Scripture. In Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. Those of you who know, you know. In Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read into it. We're going to start at verse 13. I'm going to give you 14 and 15. Colossians chapter 2, 13, 14, and 15. This is a great, great passage to meditate and reflect on. What did Jesus do on his day? And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Judgment, right? God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, right? Judgment. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Great picture, great image. Look what else happened. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. In him. He disarms the rulers and the authorities. He took the powers of evil that had snuck into and squatted upon that which we abdicated. And like a ruling, conquering king who takes the conquered and drags them through the city capital in chains and drags them through naked to be mocked by those who are watching. Jesus drags, it says, the forces of evil through the capital. He has disarmed them and subjected them to open shame, triumphing where? At the cross. At the cross. And so we, we put forth and hold on to a wrong hope, false hope. If I look at the attacks by Hamas and I look at what's happening in my country and I say, oh, I can't wait for Jesus to come back so that he can conquer evil. He's already conquered evil. It's already conquered. He took the deed back. The house is his. Are there still monsters in the basement? Sure. Is the kitchen still trashed? Absolutely. Do the walls need to be rebuilt? Sure. But whose house is it? Jesus says, I took the house back. It's my house. This is why we spent so much time as a church family learning how to pray and to pray biblically. To speak into prayerfully where strongholds have been established and need to be torn down. Where sin rules and reigns. And in Jesus' name, we tear them down. Because authority has been restored. The squatters just need to be removed. 
Another passage in 1 John chapter 3. So make sure you're in the right John because there's the gospel according to John. There's 1 John, there's 2 John, there's 3 John. John wrote a lot of stuff. So 1 John, which is a smaller letter towards the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 8. 1 John 3, 8. His day, the day of wrath. His day, a day of hope. Why? Whoever makes the practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, past tense, was to destroy, past, the works of the devil. Evil was dethroned on that day. Are there still echoes? Yeah, absolutely. Are there still ripples? Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. We talked about this in the men's breakfast. There are still these cascading effects and ripples that we as the body of Christ must confront and must deal with. But as the body of Christ, the very physical manifestation of Jesus Christ on earth. That's why prayer is so important. Obedience is so important. Jesus cast it off the throne. We cast it out of the house. Evil is dethroned. It's a day of hope. A day of wrath, a day of hope. Back to John. John 12. John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. That means the focus of Jesus' life was his death. The focus of Jesus' life was his death. The miracles, not the priority. The cool sermons, not the priority. The way he stuck it to the Pharisees in the Temple Mount, not the priority. Jesus says, the hallmark, what you will anchor on, what will draw your heart, is my crucifixion, my death. My murder, my assassination, the kind of death that he was going to have. No other stuff. That means to be a faithful Christian, to be a devout Christian, means to focus upon his death. I record a, a podcast with local pastors about books and books that we've been reading. And we recently read a book by Leo Tolstoy. Uh, called The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Short novel. Awesome. It's a good book. Good book. Some Russian stuff can get a little crazy. If you tell, talk about Dostoevsky and War and Peace, which is massive. No, this book, real short, novella. Easy read. You can crank it out in an hour. And the center, guess what the book's about? Death. Opening, story, opening chapter, death. This guy named Ivan. Ending chapter, Ivan and how he lives in the middle. And throughout the whole story, everyone around Ivan doesn't want to talk about his death. They don't want to talk about the fact that he's dying. 
And it really frustrates him. It really angers him, actually, because everyone wants to ignore the fact that he is in the process of and is going to die. And he starts calling everyone liars because they want to pretend that everything's okay. And so they'll, they'll go to the theater and doctors will show up. And he's like, you're a liar. I'm going to die. You know I'm going to die. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's how he wrestles with the reality of his death. A faithful Christian, we have to put the death of Jesus in the center of everything. I see this happening when I officiate funerals. Okay? Like the family will, will work really, really hard sometimes. It's not all the time. Sometimes to pretend like this person didn't die. Like a death didn't happen. So they'll call it certain things and let, let's, let's have a celebration. Let's have a, let's have a party. Let's not make it feel like a funeral. I'm like, no, no, no. This, this is a death. And Jesus says, when I am lifted up, that will draw all people to myself. Now, he says, now that word now is real important. It, it comes in a couple places. Verse 31, now is the judgment. Uh, verse 20, now, uh, when those went up to worship at the feast, now is my soul troubled. The reason that John does that is because there's other places in John's gospel where he'll have Jesus say things like, it's not my time. Now's not my time. So at the wedding feast of Cana, okay, his first, his first kind of miracle in front of everybody else that everyone else knew about, because you know Jesus did miracles like at home, right? Like when he had to wash the dishes, he's like, like I mean, when that one, that stuff never made it in the book. Right? But, but so the wedding feast, the wedding feast is the first one that's documented, the miracle. Okay? And Mary comes up to him and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And he's like, um, that's my problem. Uh, you need to take care of this. Do whatever he tells you to do. And he says, now is not my time. This is not my day. This is not the day when I will be exalted. This is not the day that will draw people to myself. He says, now is not my time at this private wedding in Cana. And then later, uh, his half-brothers are like, hey, Jesus, we're going to head up to Jerusalem. Big public celebration. You should come on. We know you love the feast. You can do your little miracle thing and show everyone who you are. And that'd be awesome, right? Because there's hundreds of thousands of people packed into Jerusalem. This would be a great day to do your thing. And Jesus is like, not my day. It's not my day. That is not what will draw people to me. No, it's when I am lifted up that I will draw all people to me. Lifted up, that's important. Because earlier in John chapter three, John uses the same phrase, but he puts it in the context of an Old Testament story from Numbers 21. In the same way that the serpent was lifted up in the days of Moses, so will the son of God be lifted up. It's Jesus' way of saying, if you wanna understand this day, you gotta look back to that other old day. In Numbers 21. And I want to read it for you because it'll help us think about this day biblically. Which sometimes it's a struggle for Christians to do. Numbers 21. Numbers 21. It's a day of wrath. It's a day of hope. What we're going to see, it's also a day of tremendous love. In Numbers 21.
Numbers 21, I'm going to start reading in verse 4. So we should have some things in the back of our mind. Judgment, evil, prayer. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Imagine that. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Just brought them out of Egypt? We're talking centuries of slavery, bondage. This is the same crew that's seen the, the plagues. They've seen the mighty power of God manifest in the Red Sea. He has angelic food showing up for them every morning. Every morning. You don't got to drive to Kroger. You don't got to wait in line at Walmart. You step out the front door and there's magic angel food all over the floor. All you got to do is pick it up. That's all you have to do. And what do they say? Man, we liked it better in Egypt. We really don't like this food anymore. Why? Does it tell you anything about the human condition? Does it tell you anything about in the presence of God's amazing blessing and creativity, how at our heart we're just treasonous, ungrateful jerks? Yeah, yeah. No wonder the world is judged. And yet, what happens? So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Fiery, think adders, vipers, things that bite, things that hurt, things that poison. And they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. We just, we've been studying this prayer, right? So people's condition looks at Moses' intercession. He's going to pray to God for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent, if, if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at it and the bronze serpent, and they would live. So God says to Moses, Take something in the likeness of In the likeness of the problem. And fix it upon a pole so that if someone becomes bitten, they can go look upon that which is lifted up. An image of the problem. And they will be healed. And Jesus says, when you think, and these are, these, are, these, are, these are Jews, they know this story. They know this story very well. And Jesus says, in the same way, when you look upon me, when I am lifted up. Think upon me when I am lifted up. Some of you in the medical profession, right? You have maybe a little pin or a little emblem or a little patch. What does it have on it? A serpent on a pole. Yeah. 
And Jesus says, when you look upon, when I am lifted up, I will draw. And that word to look upon is important because it means to fixate. So it wasn't enough if I'm, you know, in the, uh, in the camp and I've been bit and I can say, oh, yep, there's the pole. I'm good to go. No, 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 no. I had to go and look at it to fixate upon it. And what am I, what am I fixating on? What am I thinking on? Oh, I'm bit. Why was I bit? What brought about this situation? Oh, the impertinence and the evil in my own heart is what brought this whole problem upon Oh, he's delivering me in this moment. He, God, is the one who's going to deliver me through this. And Jesus is in the same way, you need to fixate on me. You need to fixate upon my crucifixion. Look upon me. What do you fixate on? What gets your head stuck like a scratch on a record? and a gerbil in a wheel. What keeps you up at night? Has that heart of yours and not so much? We as a culture like to talk about our trauma but we won't walk it to the Savior. We like to talk about our problem, but we won't walk it to the Savior. We'll fixate on the challenge, we won't fixate on the champion. But he says, when you look upon me, that will draw your heart to me. To draw, to draw like a sword is drawn from a scabbard or a net is drawn from the water. The inference is that heart doesn't move on its own. It can't move on its own. It's dragged down, drifting away. That heart, if that heart's gonna move, I'm drawing it. Me upon the cross is drawing it. Many a heart has wandered and strayed and frayed because it was no longer fixated upon the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, I will draw all to myself. What a tremendous day of love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. To turn your eyes upon Jesus and off yourself. To turn your eyes upon Jesus and off Hamas and off Israel and off whatever that prophetic preacher you shouldn't have been listening to in the first place has got your head all spinning in knots because Jesus already conquered evil. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory 
and grace. This is where a people must find themselves. This is why I told the men in the men's breakfast, we must become gospel men. We must be a gospel church. That he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. The righteousness taking on unrighteousness that we might know the righteousness of God, yes. For God so loved the world that he gave. No wonder in another place, a guy named John, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered conquered. So you turn on the news, but fixate on upon the cross. You have a fight with your spouse, let's fixate upon the cross. When all that has happened, fixate upon the cross. We do this at the table, right? This is why, do this in remembrance of me. We even have a day, some of us call it the Lord's Day. To do what? Hey, let's get together, a bunch of us, because you know what we need to remember? We need to remember a day of wrath. We need to remember, but it's also a day of hope. Oh, let's remember. It's also a day of love. Let's remember these things. I need to remember these things. Why? Because prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Draw my heart, Lord, back to your presence. Apart from you, I am Hamas. Artists, would you come up? Help us out. I need to stop talking before I say something that'll get me in trouble. Why don't we stand and let's do this thing. Let's, let's turn our gaze upon Jesus' crucifixion. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. There's no more beautiful moment than when the creator took upon himself the sins and the treason of creation. Maybe you've never, never, you have no anniversary moment, birthday moment. You've never stepped into the day of the Lord. And yet you look upon the cross and you're confronted with your own sinfulness and brokenness. And his promise of hope, his offer of love. Humble yourself before him. And the king will pick you up. Most merciful God, I confess I've sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what I've done and what I've left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. I'm truly sorry. I humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me. 
that I might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's look to the cross. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.